Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Italian Innovators. I'm Luca Cottini. And today I'm in the company of Alberto Milani, entrepreneur and creator of the jewelry and lifestyle luxury brand Alberto Milani, a love affair with Italy president of the Italy-America Chamber of Commerce of New York, coordinator of all chambers of commerce in the NAFTA area, and co-founder of Piazza Italia Market in New York City. Alberto Milani supports Italian jewelry companies to define their mission and position themselves in the U.S. market, and he is recognized in the industry as an inspirational speaker and a visionary leader. So thank you very much, Alberto, for accepting my invitation to be in the show. Pleasure, Luca. Thank you for having me. So today we'll explore Italian jewelry as a culture, a lifestyle, and a business. We'll examine how the Italian tradition of craft impacts the design of new objects and Italy's position in the global market. Given your role as ambassador for Italian businesses, we'll also discuss the key functions of the Italian Chamber of Commerce in New York and the most recent project of Piazza Italia. And I want to start from your story. You studied business and law in Milan and then started your entrepreneurial career holding executive roles at Procter & Gamble, Sector Sports Watches, Bulgari and Buccellati. How did you discover or build your path? What did you learn along the way? As you, as you underline, my first debut in the, in the work life was at Procter & Gamble. So at the time, uh, the luxury uh, market, uh, let's say in the beginning of the 90s, were not using properly uh, marketing, uh, were not using properly branding, uh, and uh, there was a lot of interest uh, coming from a uh, few luxury company in, in trying to attract as much as they could uh, young talents from uh, American Express, from uh, Procter & Gamble, Unilever, and so forth and so on, because there was uh, somehow few elements that at the time were not properly managed or properly developed in the luxury business, including jewelry. And I was lucky enough uh, to, uh, to be at the right place at the right time and there was a, a bunch of people that uh, Bulgari hired uh, worldwide to start a different kind of approach. It was uh, very far away from a traditional way of, of doing business, uh, especially in jewelry, which is, uh, as you said in the beginning, extremely traditional and the approach extremely closed within a family or within few families uh, tradition and uh, not so much open to the innovation, to something that uh, was not done in the same way uh, for the previous generation. And it was a, a brave approach from Bulgari, but uh, it paid back uh, for, for them, for sure, but also for myself and for the other people that were with me in that time. This is really interesting because like you introduce an element of innovation in a field that has to do with eternity. A jewel is by itself something that is forever. And there is a word in Greek which I really like. Uh, it's the word cosmos, which means ornament, from which are modern cosmetic, and universe, from which are modern 
cosmic. So a jewel is a cosmos as both an ornament and a piece that contains a world, as both a trendy item and a timeless piece of art. This is also the success recipe of Bulgari that you mentioned, which also positioned itself at the intersection of the trendy walkway via the Condotti in Rome and the eternity of the Spanish steps. So what is a jewel for you? And what cosmos or world does it represent? When you mentioned Bulgaria and you mentioned the traditional Bulgaria related to Spanish steps and Rome and Via Condotti, as a matter of fact, one of the, the first uh, tagline that we use uh, in my time in Bulgaria was uh, to add to the Bulgari name, which, by the way, was very difficult to read properly because uh, you may remember the U of Bulgaria is a uh, with a Roman type, so it's a V. That is obviously a tradition. It is coming from a Greek heritage of Bulgari, because Sotirio Bulgari, as a matter of fact, came from Greek tradition. So we had something was uh, a breakthrough, was a contemporary Italian jewelry, which, like now, it's, it seems very simple to say, but it wasn't simple at all, because uh, somehow you you prisoner of those three words. You are prisoner of uh, Italian, prisoner of contemporary and jewelry, of course. So it means that you have to be within that kind of promise that you're making uh, on your audience to be all the time on a contemporary point of view, presenting something that is meaningful to the current generation, which is uh, a bit of a challenge in jewelry. So in one sense, uh, you rely on tradition. Very rarely you create something that was not been, not been done already in jewelry or very similar to. But on the other side, there's always a, a touch of um, modernity that is important and, and how to be relevant is the challenge. And if you want to make it even, even more difficult, you're working with very precious materials. On fashion, for instance, you can try a few things. Uh, you can add uh, to a new designer uh, or any, any collection, any any year could be a, a different approach, uh, but at the end, the cost of material is very limited. In our case, uh, you have a, a challenge, which is a technical one, of trying to uh, use your, your material wisely, because otherwise it will uh, most likely cost you too much. On the other side, you, you want to maintain a designer uh, approach and be relevant to, to the current audience. I have a lot of respect for whoever is designing and producing jewelry because there is always a, some sort of a final fight between whoever is designing and whoever is producing because they are following different kind of restriction and limitation. And then at the end, as a magical touch, something will become a good interpretation of both. Uh, perfect execution when it comes to traditional interpretation and also physically something that, uh, as a matter of fact, could be produced. Uh, even better if it could be produced and, and scale up from production point of view and not being one of a kind. That is an is a interesting challenge, uh, which probably is the beauty of, uh, of the jewelry itself as a segment. is very unique uh, compared to anybody else. And definitely resources are not limitless. So this is a resource for creativity in, in the sense that you really have to use them wisely the fact that they are limited imposes a deeper attention and a deeper care now your brand's motto is a love affair with italy so what makes a jewel italian and how does the italian jewelry tradition or italy's obsession with beauty impact or translate into the design of new and timeless objects 
So when uh, you talk about uh, uh, made in Italy, usually the common way to view made in Italy most of the time uh, drives you to beauty, to uh, the dolce vita, to the lifestyle, but also to uh, vacation time, pleasant time, food, wine, beautiful scenarios. This is basically the common uh, way to have uh, Uh, your own interpretation of what made in Italy is. And then maybe something comes to your mind right away, maybe a beautiful car, a beautiful hotel, fashion, uh, but also jewelry as well. And at the end, if you try to sum up what made in Italy is, uh, you go home with with something that uh, could be a three-pronged approach. The first one is related to the beauty of, of what we're doing sense of beauty in Italian, la grande bellezza. This is basically what we know how to translate and come up with the right interpretation of the beauty. And because we were blessed, we, we were born and raised in one of the most beautiful places uh, uh, in the world. And if you born and raised in, in Florence, uh, compared to being born and raised in an industrial city in uh, East Europe, uh, most likely the sense of beauty that you you able to cultivate as a kid is definitely stronger. And we have that as a culture, as part of our identity as Italians. So we are able to transfer that, uh, even uh, uh, when we don't think about it, goes through. And this is the first one. The second one is uh, the Made in Italy is a combination of universal values that uh, most of the time are commonly shared in different cultures, different religions. i just give you a couple of examples. So family is very strong for the Italian culture, kids, and uh, love for kids are, is definitely one of the values that uh, we have strong in our own culture, food or, or uh, interpretation of uh, good food and spending time uh, enjoying uh, that part of life. Well, it is not for everybody, but it, it could be commonly accepted horizontally in different culture and could be uh, appreciated as well. So I would say that uh, when you think about it as a marketing approach to an audience, uh, that rather than being uh, an Italian audience is uh, what you can call italic or italic audience, uh, you jump into a situation that uh, you're talking to somebody who maybe uh, is not born and raised in Italy, like the two of us, but uh, uh, has a very strong love for those values. A typical example is a Japanese client who understands the, the, the different kind of sophistication of Tuscan wine and is willing and able to spend a certain amount of money to uh, acquire the best bottle of Brunello or whatever they, they feel like. This is a client who is not Italian, but uh, is accepting that kind of values. And, and, and those are, uh, is, is a large audience. Uh, I think that uh, you can find that uh, one of the largest audience in marketing. And, and the third one is the uh, sophistication of, of what we're doing, the good taste. And uh, this is something that uh, everybody recognizes to us, let's say, buon gusto in Italian. This is something that uh, every woman walking into into a room uh, with an Italian press from, from Valentino, from Armani, or from uh, something that is very famous worldwide, definitely feels more very confident in walking into a room and, and, and people are looking at it, uh, whether or not they like it or not, but they recognize uh, a certain kind of style of sophistication. So those three points are giving you the made in Italy strength, which is definitely way much stronger than any of uh, uh, an individual brand.
So that, that is the reason why we call it the, the tagline in our case is, is a love affair with Italy because uh, he's embracing those three values and being able to come out the best interpretation of it. And definitely, uh, as we mentioned, like a piece of jewelry is both a piece of design and craft or style and execution, but also a piece that contains a word as you described, uh, these, three, these three notions that are associated with the word of what we call made in Italy. Now, with regard to your line, I want to ask you, how is a jewelry line born at Alberto Milani? And what makes your brand distinctive and recognizable? And more broadly, how is Italian jewelry positioned in the global market? Italian jewelry is uh, at the end uh, recognized as the innovation in, in terms of uh, style and design. So Dr. Milani uh, line is always created with, in my mind, uh, a strong connection with a relevant audience. The relevant audience uh, could change, could become younger, could become uh, less formal. Like, like it is uh, nowadays. Therefore, when I, at the end uh, of the process, when I had to sign up for the final design and the final production, I want to make sure that uh, it is uh, broadly, it could be broadly accepted as uh, um, catchy, as um, snappy, as uh, peppy as well. Uh, something that uh, you could go home with, uh, you could think about yourself uh, wearing it uh, multiple times uh, in different occasions. So this is uh, obviously an easy interpretation, but uh, I'm sure that uh, it doesn't take uh, a few days uh, to, to make it happen. But then uh, not only you will be constantly and frequently complimented by the jewelry you're wearing, but also you will feel at ease uh, and uh, uh, updated uh, at any given time, even if few years are passing by and you're wearing that kind of jewelry with pleasure and uh, pride. So this is basically the, the ideal situation. And this is also something that creates an object that means something that people notice that creates a vibe. Uh, and it also has a meaning that lasts over time. This is really fascinating about jewels and jewelry as, as a sector. Now, I want to ask you something about your uh, position as president of really a historic institution in New York City, the first America-Italy Chamber of Commerce, which was established in 1887, so pretty early on in the game. Can you tell us about this story? Can you tell us about a little bit the work that you do for supporting Italian businesses that are entering in the American market? And maybe we can discuss this later in the next few minutes also in Italian, but I want to hear this story first as you said 1887 is uh, is definitely quite impressive i don't know if it's the oldest chamber of commerce worldwide but it's one of the oldest uh, worldwide and uh, the interesting part of the story that uh, he, he was uh, founded and created by a group of uh, um, olive oil importers uh, from new york who went to uh, washington dc to uh, discuss about the uh, increase of duties and and and, uh, and custom uh, problems uh, like you know as as we having right now nowadays so that that basically was the the, the beginning of the chamber of commerce chamber of commerce is, is uh, different from any other uh, i should say italian institution in new york it is the only uh, or i would say 
the entity that is always very attached to the territory, has been here for, for centuries. He knows uh, uh, very well what he worked and what he didn't. He knows very well memberships. And um, so uh, anytime there is an Italian company wants to be part of uh, or trying to, to, uh, to start business in the United States, uh, the chamber is there for you to, to, to make sure that you avoid initial mistakes uh, in one sense. On the other, he's uh, uh, trying to help you as much as you can, can to, uh, to become successful and, and to stay successful and, and to remain in the United States. So you, have, uh, you can leverage a huge experience, a huge credibility of the membership, and also the, the, uh, the best of the best that is uh, part of our, of our membership is at your services. So I guess that this is something that uh, will help you very well and uh, in your initial uh, stage in this country. And uh, probably, as you mentioned before, will help you to avoid common mistakes that are usually uh, being made by, by Italian company coming through. So credibility and insight. In connection with the Chamber of Commerce, you recently opened, you launched in New York City, the project of Piazza Italia. What is it and how is it different from what you just described? Well, Piazza Italia is, uh, once again, being uh, on marketing for the majority of my life, the tagline uh, in that case is stronger together. So we believe that uh, any, any uh, medium or small Italian company could be uh, definitely stronger in, in, uh, in the initial phase of presenting itself uh, under the umbrella of, of Piazza Italia. So Piazza Italia has uh, three prongs uh, on, the, on the approach. First one is a co-working space. So it's giving you the possibility of uh, having your, your house, your offices in your city, uh, but differently from a common co-working space, uh, you live the community. The community is Italian, and most likely you share the same kind of experience or the same kind of, of challenges that somebody next to you is experiencing. So there is a, definitely a sense of uh, Italian belonging that is definitely helping everybody. This is the first one. So you have your own office right then, then signing up a lease agreement for five years and with letter of credit and, and a strong commitment from, from the parent company in Italy. You sign a membership, you have your own space for one year, and then after that, you decide whether or not you like to stay. The second part are the services that uh, we, we provide to, to the company. Only if you want to, and if you don't have anybody helping you, we can give you some strong support on marketing, on social media, on sales representation, uh, logistic, uh, which is uh, something that is... Uh, is becoming a bit uh, more complicated nowadays, and uh, it would be it would be more complicated going forward. And the third one are events that uh, Piazza Italia is organizing. Uh, those are events that uh, will present the Italian community and, of course, the membership as a B two B approach, or sometimes also as a B two C approach, leveraging also a location which is uh, very prestigious in the center of, of Manhattan on Madison Avenue. And 44th, and uh, uh, part of our building is also the uh, iconic uh, uh, former Brooks Brothers uh, building in New York uh, that we could leverage for for major events. So we had the last one uh, in the month of May, where we brought about uh, 45 companies from Italy, and uh, we got about 500 buyers coming through uh, in um, in three days. So if you sum up. Uh, 
what we were saying on the beginning of your of your interview. So we all believe that Made in Italy is definitely stronger than yourself uh, as an individual company, but also uh, will help to attract uh, a broader audience uh, where within that kind of uh, exhibition or events uh, or, or community, you shine uh, with your own uh, uh, talent, your, your own uh, interpretation of Made in Italy, uh, and is, is like a curated offer that is giving you different kind of uh, level of, of integration with innovation and tradition and uh, and design and, uh, and uh, is working very well thank you and i want to take this occasion to deepen our conversation in italian for all those sure. entrepreneurs and designers who are thinking about entering uh, the american market volevo chiedere uh, anche a livello di coaching proprio di uh, capacità di uh, far entrare un'industria, un business dentro il mercato americano, quali sono le difficoltà e cosa eh, ti sentiresti di dire a un'azienda che sta iniziando un percorso nel mercato americano? Il primo ostacolo, è, che è un ostacolo tradizionale, è sempre stato negli anni che quando sono entrato io in questo mercato 30 anni fa, la soglia di ingresso è molto costosa, molto più costosa di qualsiasi altro mercato o anche molto più costosa di quanto di solito un'azienda italiana è disposta ad affrontare. Questo non vuol dire che eh, sia impossibile, ma eh, negli anni è stato il problema numero uno. Con l'avvento della parte digitale del business, questa barriera è sicuramente superata e oggi c'è la possibilità di presentarsi con formule nuove, come può essere quella di Piazza Italia, condividendo le spese fisse in maniera più interessante per tutti e soprattutto più economica, ma anche la possibilità di presentare attraverso eh, il mondo digitale e attraverso i social media il prodotto in maniera moderna e diversa. Questo oggi, se vuoi, la tecnologia da una parte ti ha aiutato, dall'altra ti condanna a una vera chiarezza degli intenti e della proposta del business, perché specialmente sugli italiani che sono abituati, insomma, a esprimere la creatività in, in varie forme, a vari livelli, anche nell'offrire il proprio prodotto, la propria azienda, la tecnologia ti imprigiona in alcuni segmenti e in alcuni algoritmi che richiede un'offerta molto calcolata, molto precisa, a che parte del tuo lavoro, hai menzionato il coaching, è sicuramente importante sul linguaggio usato, sui termini, sulle keywords, sui colori, e questo diventa sicuramente oggi più che necessario quasi la cosa più importante su cui focalizzarsi perché la rilevanza dell'offerta decide poi la, il probabile futuro eh, oppure il probabile insuccesso nell'offerta nell quindi questo sicuramente è un passaggio molto più complicato da una parte costa meno dall'altra è molto più sofisticato e poi c'è l'ultimo che ho toccato brevemente prima, che è quello della logistica, quello che eh, la pandemia ha cambiato, direi per sempre, e su questo non sono sicuro che le aziende italiane non abbiano ancora compreso in maniera completa, che la logistica sia delle persone che delle merci sia cambiata per sempre. Quindi oggi la necessità di una geolocalizzazione, ma una presenza regionale, direi, sul territorio, mentre prima poteva essere una possibilità, oggi anche in questo caso è quasi obbligatoria. Oggi, proprio prima di, di questa telefonata, parlavo con un'azienda di eh, materiali 
relativi all'agricoltura in Italia che mi ha detto che erano a ricerca di una base logistica negli Stati Uniti perché hanno rischiato più volte di perdere gli ordini perché i tempi di consegna del prodotto erano completamente diversi al passato e non si riusciva più a gestire dall'Italia. Questo io credo che sia una lezione da abbracciare, noi siamo abituati un po' Eh, come sai da italiano Luca a cercare di farsi le cose sempre da soli e oggi è un, è un modello che sicuramente fa più fatica rispetto al passato. Grazie, sicuramente la competizione anche negli Stati Uniti è estremamente più forte e dentro questo contesto come si fa a emergere o a creare un'influenza italiana che sia radicata? Nella mia esperienza vedo che dire made in Italy non basta, può essere un'etichetta, bisogna saper articolare, come hai fatto bene prima, eh, che cosa si intenda per made in Italy, quindi bisogna saper articolare un discorso, una influenza. Questo è ancora, se vuoi, più difficile perché eh, parte dei tuoi studenti o parte delle tue connessioni giornaliere ti portano a capire le nuove generazioni che ovviamente hanno dei tempi tecnici diversi dai nostri, hanno una velocità di linguaggio, di interpretazione e di attenzione diversa, quindi è importante nel calderone che noi definiamo molte volte Made in Italy trovare i fattori rilevanti. Poi questi fattori rilevanti devono essere consegnati e gestiti in maniera moderna, quindi da una parte c'è sempre la visione dell'artigianalità, della tradizione, ma molte volte questa artigianalità, questa tradizione non si è poi evoluta in progetti scalabili e in questo caso gli Stati Uniti ti penalizzano perché da una parte sei incuriosito e affascinato dal primo passaggio ma quando poi il secondo passaggio non è in grado di fare marketing in maniera corretta, fare social media in maniera corretta, eh, gestire customer service in maniera corretta, ecco che poi arrivi alla situazione che ti dicevo prima dell'azienda del campo agricolo che poteva avere questi tipi di problemi. Quindi in realtà vedi che non, non, non è neanche poi necessariamente relativo al design, al, al, alla qualità, alla, alla tradizione, è eh, che questi valori, seppure eccezionali, devono essere eh, sempre al passo con i tempi, ma devono essere anche poi eh, offerti e gestiti eh, nella maniera adeguata eh, rispetto a quello che il mercato chiede e i tempi del mercato chieda. Quindi molte volte non vuol dire che tu non stai facendo un buon prodotto o un prodotto adeguato o, o hai sbagliato qualche cosa. Significa che non sei rilevante abbastanza per un numero di persone che possano essere rilevanti uh, in termini di business. Quindi la distribuzione americana ti rifiuta non perché tu non sia valido, ma ti rifiuta perché eh, non sei rilevante nello schema del business quindi tu dall'altra parte potresti essere magari stracontento di avere venduto 100.000 dollari 200.000 dollari all'anno dall'altra però non sei importante per un'audience eh, economica degli Stati Uniti e quindi alla fine vieni non ti dico abbandonato ma vieni comunque sempre relegato in posizione di meno meno importante mentre invece poi ti accorgi esempi no, fulgidi della moda, direi il primo Armani, eh, che ha, non solo ha portato dei concetti diversi di innovazione, ma è stato bravo, anzi bravissimo, 
a portarlo in maniera scalabile e a diventare un'azienda come oggi multinazionale. Grazie anche, devo dirti, al mercato americano. Assolutamente, and I want to go back to what you were saying in English. So the ability that you were describing to connect creativity, which we normally associate to artisanship, the craft that Italians are really masters at, with sustainable thinking, scalable businesses, and really strategic thinking. The ability to create products that speak, that mean something, but are also able to enter healthily within this market. So this is really the key for successful Italian stories of Made in Italy that made it here in the US, where the ability to create and innovate was combined with the ability to think strategically, and shape an influence, shape a story, shape an aura around these products. And I'm speaking like you were doing about fashion or design in particular, where products are able to connect with people's wants and needs and dreams. Certainly jewelry is one of these categories. Thank you very much for this truly enlightening conversation. Now we examine the dynamic interrelation of culture and business in the jewelry sector and explore how an Italian brand can successfully create an influence in the American market, staying true to its core identity, but also developing new original pathways. Thank you, Alberto, for your time, your work, and all your insights. Thank you. Thank you, Luca. And thanks everybody for watching. Uh, if you like this video, I invite you to subscribe to this channel or the newsletter on the webpage of the show at www.italianinnovators.com to receive notifications of new episodes and know more about this project. You can also follow me on my LinkedIn profile or on Instagram at Italian Innovators for updates, news, and additional materials. Thanks again for your support. Arrivederci e alla prossima. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.